1: of the Financial Advisor Success podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Brett Danko. Brett is the founder of Brett Danko Education Center, a CFP Board education and exam prep provider, and the CEO and managing partner for Main Street Financial Solutions, an independent RIA based in Newtown, Pennsylvania that oversees almost 2 billion in assets under management for nearly 1700 client households. What's unique about Brett, though, is how he has leveraged his passion for teaching to build one of the most popular CFP exam prep programs in the country while also growing his RIA to $2 billion in AUM by focusing on just his unique financial planning strengths and learning to delegate the rest by hiring a president and a chief operating officer and a chief financial officer who collectively focus on the day-to-day management of the firm itself. In this episode, we talk in depth about how Brett teaches industry professionals seeking certified financial planner certification by providing his comprehensive fast-track courses that span just seven months to get through the program and end with a live virtual or in-person exam prep review. How Brett iterated on and evolved his exam prep programs with the recognition that, as he puts it, there is no CFP cum laude and consequently keeps the focus very directly on what it takes to pass and get through the exam because you have a lifetime as a practitioner to keep improving and deepening your knowledge afterwards anyway. And why Brett jokingly refuses to acknowledge when his students humor the thought of failing because he believes that planning for the potentiality of failure is really just giving yourself permission to fail and that the important part of passing the CFP board exam and arguably achieving life goals in general is believing in oneself and visualizing the success. We also talk about why Brett personally only offers financial planning on an hourly basis and leaves asset management to the other advisors of his RIA so that he can have the flexibility to teach his courses and still keep the experience and knowledge as a practicing advisor. Why Brett structures his firm as almost a platform for advisors, where even though the advisors are technically W-2 employees and the firm pays for their staff and overhead and technology, they own their own clients, design their own fee schedules and portfolio models so that they can focus on serving more of their clients the best of their ability. And how Brett manages his own time and obligations as the founder of two businesses that each have their own management teams, his advisory firm Main Street Financial Solutions and then the Brett Danko Education Center, by recognizing that he's a macro person and has to surround himself with micro people who are good at all the micro details to make sure everything actually gets done. And be certain to listen to the end where Brett shares what it took for him to get comfortable with delegating so much responsibility for his businesses to key team members. How after losing a job in his early 30s, Brett suffered from a severe depression, but found through therapy the confidence he needed to reinvigorate his passions and ultimately decided to outline a manifesto of goals he wanted to achieve, including launching his own advisory firm and education courses that he then spent the next 20 years building to today. And why Brett suggests that advisors in their 20s should seek out mentors, not just to to learn, but also to help them recognize in themselves their strengths and their weaknesses, because it's it's that self-awareness that makes it easier for us to find the work and kind of firm we'll truly enjoy for the rest of our careers as an advisor. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Brett Danko. Welcome, Brett Danko, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast.
2: Well, wow, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm humbled and I'm I'm honored to to be on here. So, um uh, so I'm 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 excited.
1: So, uh thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. I'm I'm excited about this as well. You you are as I view it one of the best known names in the CFP world. You know, you you teach one of the most popular CFP live review programs out there. So, almost anybody who's been through their coursework and probably the past decade or more has uh, at least been looking at uh, uh, at a live review program with you. If they have not outright gone gone through a program with you, uh, you know I know what uh, a lot of people don't know is that you're also like a you know little side hustle as a as a founder of a billion dollar advisory <laughs> firm. Uh, and, have, and have lived the journey both of like scaling an advisory business and, and building what you've done on the advisor education side. And so I'm, I'm a little excited to kind of delve into like the, the two sides of Brett Danko because I feel like most people are, are only familiar with one and, and at this point are, are probably just asking like, Brett, how do you even balance the two at this point?
2: Uh, it's it, it. can be difficult. It can be difficult. But I mean, remember, one is centering around what's best for you know the students, and one is centering around what's best for your clients. So in the end, it's just um, you know looking at it and say, all right, wherever I am. So if I'm in a class, I'm there. So I'm going to be present in that place. If I'm working with an advisor, um, then for that advisor, then I'm present. With that with that advisor um, on the um, on the asset management side for our, our RIA Main Street Financial solutions. And quite frankly, I love it because I love to teach, I love working with students. I love how much you know they're trying to better themselves, trying to get their CFP or some other designation. and I respect that so much and I want to help them, you know to get there. And then on the other side, working with advisors and their clients, um, and helping those advisors help their clients to achieve you know their short mid and long-term goals. So for me, I love that it, it varies, but it's still dealing with many of the same concepts um, and that is what's best for the student, what's best for the client. and then the material, the information itself, uh, you, you you teach it in, in, in the CFP in this world of well, you know here's this concept. Well, on the other side, you actually get to implement it on the RIA side. Um, and for me, that's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun. And it's where I get a lot of my stories for the education side. And that's what I kind of, we, we, we try and do is put, you know, there's the material, but then how do we go ahead and, and make stories uh, that, that allow the material to come alive? And I get a lot of those from being a, uh, you know, from from being an advisor for many years.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So... I, I think to start, I'd love to just understand more about the, the education business for you as it exists today. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are probably most familiar with you for some of the exam prep programs that you've got, although I know you even have a, a few different choices and options of what you do. So I think to start, just help us understand the, like the, the, the Danko education business for CFP professionals.
2: Uh, wow! Uh, yeah, there's there's really three different components. So so one component is the educational classes. So that is the actual courses you need to take to be eligible and pass to be eligible uh, to uh, to pass the CFP exam. So there's that side of it, and, and those are seven courses that 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 we do, um, and we do those. So, that, on-
1: so that's akin to like me going to. American College or College yeah. of Financial Planning or like my local undergraduate university that has a, a CFP program. You've got your own version of CFP, like the educational classes themselves: the seven, the financial planning and retirement and insurance and the capstone at the end, like that whole sequence.
2: Yep. Yes, and we do that uh, through Stockton University uh, in in New Jersey. And so uh yeah so I, I we we have that side of of the business and we we call it the the fast track uh where we go four full days uh once a month. And each of those four days uh, is an actual class. And then we do other sessions since it's online, uh, we record everything, but then we also do extra study sessions um, a- after it as well uh, to-, to really get folks to be where, where they need to, to uh, um, be with the material.
1: So four full days once a month, like a- – Monday through Thursday like I, I like spaced out like Monday every week oh, all, it's, all all year long all, all month long or like no no nope. Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday like I will give you back Friday <laughs> at the end yeah F.
2: yeah so yeah, we do it Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday yeah so okay. um and remember our the people in our classes are are people who were almost always already in the industry so they have a series seven or an uh, or a series six. Many of them have an insurance license. Many of them are working with clients. So while there's you know textbooks and there's extra materials and things like that, I, we don't have to explain what a stock is to them or what a bond is
1: right. So we right. can
2: really go at a higher level, but they are packed days. So they are long days uh, to, uh, to, to to get through the educational and, classes. And we can really focus on what's important, not only for the exam, but what's important for their practice.
1: And, and this is all online? It's all virtual? Yes. I used to do them
2: live. Uh, and I still, uh, there's one, I do one, I do a class for each cycle. So as you know, the exam is given Um, every March, July, and November. So we're going to, you know, we started a class in March for the November 2023 exam. So March, April, May, June, July, August, the capstone course is in September. They take a review class. Uh, We have our review online or live in October, and then they pass the exam in November. So we will do a class for each of those cycles. And we will just space them out in in that way. There's, you know, we we will be having extra sessions in between the four-day periods each month. Um, But yeah, it's, it's really meant to be fast track. It's meant to be for folks who are motivated. I just had somebody call me last week that said, hey, I'm New to the business, and what should I do? And I said, I don't think our program would be best. It's not that our program's bad; it's just that for you, I think that we're going to be trying to go at a pretty high level, and you may get lost a little bit um, in, in between there. So, uh, so for us, right. we're just we're spacing it out over those roughly seven months, uh, and then the eighth month you pass, uh, you you take a review, and then the ninth month you pass the exam. So that's one part of our business. We used to do them live. Now we do them online. We call it live virtual because we track every person that's that's on okay. the that, that, that's on the um, you know on the uh, webinar. So each day we're doing that. We have a whole team that does that. And so because we want to know who's on and who isn't.
1: So basically, the whole thing's going to run through in. 8 8 months and you sit in the ninth. So I've got 6 or 7 months of the core classes plus the um plus the exam review uh then I'm doing a month of final prep for the exam and then I'm off and taking it. So th- that's kind of your fast track framing cuz most people don't go through quite that quickly. Like you that's how you're that's how you're packing everything in and thus why you've got four full days Every month, plus some in between time, because like you're cranking through material.
2: That is correct, and and also just um, you know, I we we joke that you don't take anything; you are passing it. So we I don't allow the word to be used. I'm sitting for the exam, or I'm taking the exam. Like nobody goes to the Super Bowl and says, "Yeah, well, we're playing in it. That's good enough." It's no, I'm passing it now. I'm winning the Super Bowl now. One team obviously is going to lose, but they don't go in there thinking that. So uh, that is one of my ideas. Like, I, I won't even answer the question. when They're like, well, what if I fail? I'm like, I'm not even going to answer that question. Then don't bother taking it. And people just look at me like, well, what if I fail? I'm like, what if you're already, you're already making an excuse to try and fail? Like, come on, man. You can't think that way. You got to basically say, you know what, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to go after this. So Uh the first part, you know, is the education side. So we have students that do that. And then many more students will take our virtual or our live reviews that we primarily do in in the Northeast.
1: Virtual or live, live meaning like live in person. Live in, in person. Yep.
2: Live, live in person.
1: And so how do those work?
2: Those are uh, three and a half days, and I just want to go back and, and correct one thing. Y- usually, for our, um, our our four day classes for the educational classes, the last day it is usually it usually doesn't last a full day. Now, we'll, I'll stay on and answer questions, but that usually doesn't that doesn't last the full day. Same thing with our actual live or virtual. It's three full days and they're very long, you know, 12 it's 10 to well, 11 to 12 hour days. And then on the last day, usually we'll go for a half a day, a little longer than that, and then I just I just stick around and answer questions. So it's not going to go four full days for uh, the review class, but but it but it could. But it's a th- solid three and a half days, and then we give them a study plan, uh, and then they go ahead and um, you know implement that study plan. We do check-in calls, things like that, group group calls. Uh, we have a, uh, a, a psychologist. She's a she's a PhD in educational psychology. Who's also a financial advisor. She actually works at our RIA, Main Street Financial Solutions. Her name's Amy Lee. She's awesome. She does sessions. Uh, we do three sessions for anybody that takes our classes, concentrating on the psychological side. So she's not. She said, "I'm not here to be a tutor. I'm here to help you with study skills and mentally being ready to pass the exam." And so that is, uh, you know, we do that three and a half days, give you a study plan, have some more calls. We'll have some calls with Amy as well, uh, on the psychological study skills, study skills side, and then boom, you, you go ahead and, and pass your exam.
1: So how, how far in advance, cause this, you're talking about a lot of follow-up after the exam review before the, before the exam exam, uh, because you're building out a study plan and I've got my sessions with Amy and, and, uh, and check and call. So in practice, like, what do you recommend or what do you see, or just how do you time it between when the exam itself is in March or July and November, and when someone would be encouraged or expected to sit for the live review?
2: Yeah. So in terms of the you know virtual live review, whichever one you wanted to take, yeah, I, um, I would say, you if you're going to pass in March, you want to take the review for the March exam cycle. You if you're going to pass in July, you don't take it. You wouldn't take a review class in 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 for the March class, and then you know say, okay, well, you know, four months later, I'll I'll just study what I learned in the review. One of the things about the review is we do it in three and a half jam packed days. Because I, I, you know, the the way I look at it is, is I want you, I, I want you it to be immersive, that you are in a class with other people or online with other people, and that is what you're focused on. And then after that, you go ahead and for the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, depending on when you take the review then you're gonna implement your study plan. And we'll do other check-in calls. We have a Facebook page, a private Facebook page for anybody in the class, so that they can uh, you know, throw ideas off of one another, rather than sort of saying, okay, well, we're gonna do um, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday for 10 weeks before we'll do that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And other programs do that. And I think they have success with that. I, I like the immersive, throw them in the deep end, bring them all together, and then put them on their way to, uh, to to study.
1: But I guess I'm just trying to understand when when does the program occur relative to the exams? Like if, if my exam is in November, is my class the week before the exam? Is my class the month before the exam? Is the class three months before the exam? Like oh, it's just two, when-
2: three, or four weeks before uh, the actual exam cycle starts. Uh, you would sign up by, you know, ideally three months before, and you would get our our pre-study books, we call them, and, you know, there's 3,500 questions in there, and you'll work through each of the modules, and the goal is to have that done before you arrive at the virtual or live review, so that once you come into that, it's all swimming in your head. You don't have a good grasp. The review class Really crystallizes parts of it for you during those say three and a half days and then you spend the remaining time really understanding other concepts that you didn't really get when you were looking at the pre-study prior to the reviews or during the review okay so this that's that's the process as as you okay. you know walk walk through this okay.
1: So, Brett, for the the different programs, like live educational and then the uh the the exam reviews, how does this work from a cost perspective? Like what is it what is the cost for the like the various choices here? For the
2: education courses, if you are taking them for credit, uh it's $950, and if you are auditing the courses, meaning you do not need credit for them. You just want to take the courses and get all the materials and all the benefits from it, except that you don't need credit. So you've either taken it before or you're you're an attorney and you just have to take capstone. You don't need the other ones. Um, it, and, and it's called a challenge status. Then that's $400 or $450. I'm sorry, it's $450. That's for the educational courses. For the review courses, um, if you're taking the live review it's roughly thirteen hundred dollars it's two hundred dollars less if you're doing the virtual and then we have really three levels that's the the the, the first level is the one i just described the second level is what we call signature which gives you eight Extra calls with uh, mostly me, but it could be one of our instructors as well. Plus, extra questions and extra cases. So, those we do the usually the Wednesday nights, the eight weeks before the exam, and uh, before the exam cycle starts. Uh, and I will go and start at seven a.m. or seven p.m. Eastern time, and go to about nine thirty. Uh, and then I usually just stay on. So I've slid the, my record is uh, almost midnight. We stayed on until midnight answering questions. Now we only had instead of having a couple hundred people when we started, uh, we were down to I think fourteen uh, at the end. But um, uh-huh. but I just I just stay on. No, because you know some people just yeah, yeah. love to get into this stuff, and uh this is my passion. I mean, I I love. Financial planning, I just love it. So I can talk about it all day long. My children, my wife, they kind of, uh, my friends, they sort of laugh at me and they just shake their head. But I dig this stuff, and uh, yeah. I think you're kind of the same way, except, oh, um, yeah. you know, you 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 know it on a on I probably well, I would argue on a higher level than I do. Uh, the, so so it's one of those things. It's just it's fun. So yeah, so you get you get extra questions, like I said, extra cases as well as um, those extra sessions where I'm really you know, saying, all right, we're going to do income tax tonight. And for two and a half hours, I'm going to hit the, the high points. Now, you still need to do the work. You still, right. remember, we're talking about a review course. So you still needed to do the educational modules. I mean, of course you did. Uh, so you needed to do that. Um, and then the third, uh, uh, the highest level that we offer, we just started this, where what we do is we record... Our educational sessions, and those educational sessions for the certificate program to get your education requirement, we record those, um, and that is uh, mirroring many of the materials that you're getting when you sign up for the review. So it's essentially a way for you to sort of go through things that we're talking about in our classes, recorded, so you can play them back when you want um, without um, without actually taking our courses, meaning, you know, you, you went ahead through another provider or you're challenging because okay. you're a CPA or an attorney.
1: Right. So yeah.
2: So that, those are our three, three different levels.
1: And, and then how do those price, I guess like signature and the. And yeah. The, the signature
2: is uh, $2,200 and the last one, which also includes a, a, a an hour long call with Amy lease on the study skills test prep side, um, a psych psychological side of of getting ready for the exam, and I believe that's twenty eight hundred
1: and and just so i understand on the on the c f p classes on the educational program you said nine hundred and fifty dollars for a course that's like that's for each course, and then I have to go through seven courses so i'm I'm what are those? six six thousand dollars and change for the whole series. Yeah. Okay.
2: That that, that that that's correct. And we, you know, some people will mix and match because they've already had them from other other right. providers. And you know, we're we're, we're blessed because we have a lot of people who jump in after they've started, say, someplace else. Um, especially if they have experience of being in the business, they're licensed, etc. Et uh, it's like
1: there are are two classes in somewhere else, and like this is going well. But I feel like I can move through this a little bit faster. I want to get through it faster for some career opportunities. Oh, I'm gonna hop over to Brett Brett's program. I can do the last five with him. It's fast tracked at that point, and and I only need to pay for the yeah, last so five. Yeah, not have to take the first extra year. year.
2: Sure, and they don't have to take the extra year and a half to get through it, or, or something like that. I think that's one of the nice things. We're we're not. You know, there's so many good choices out there to get your education, and and, and we're one of them. Um, and so the other thing is, we do it course by course because I want you to be able to fire me. Um, so uh, it's it's one of those things where you know if if we're not doing the, the if we're not giving you what you need for the first you know course, well. You know, I tell people, yeah. look, you, you can go someplace else and I'm, I'm not going to make you buy all of them, you know, all, all at once. And, and also, um, you know, as somebody told me once, they said, yeah, you know, you, you bundle them all together because a good chunk of those people will never go beyond the first, second or third course. And yet you've been kind of paid for all of them. And so I just said, you know what, if somebody needs to stop in the middle, I don't want to have their money. And I don't want to say, oh well, you paid for all of them, and you don't get a refund. And if you don't come back within a year or two, well, you know, then you'll have to pay us extra money. It's look, we're we're here, mm-hmm. and if and if it makes sense for you to pause because of you know work life or personal life, guess what? We're we're going to be here, and we're you know a year from now, and three years from now, and ten years from now, for you to go ahead and
1: and start back up again. So do you do you find like? Uh, are are there different? I't know different types of advisors or different types of exam takers, exam pursuers that that pick different programs or different paths? because I know just there's there are like people show up very differently for financial planning education overall, right? I mean, i've i've I certainly haven't done it at the depth that you have, but I've seen there there's. There's people that come because they just want to get the letters on their business card to move on to the next stage. There's people that come because they want to know every single fact. Like I don't, I don't want to get a seventy on my exam. I want to get a hundred on my exam. Like I'm gonna hang out with you, Brett, until you can answer every single practice question with a hundred percent accuracy, right? And 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 a wide spectrum in between. So I guess I'm curious, like who you tend to see if there were certain particular. Profiles of who tends to engage either with the, the the educational program or the or the exam review programs.
2: I mean, we are going to be. I, I think folks who are who want to know every single detail um, probably would not be an ideal fit for our program. That does not mean that we don't give you all the skills you need to be ready to sit for the exam, as well as be able to work with clients. I wanna be clear about that. But you know, I'll have people, they'll say, well, I wanna know this. And I'll say, well, it's not really really on the exam. And oh, by the way, more importantly, in real life, I've never dealt with that. And I've been doing this for many, many, many decades. So yeah. well, you don't need to know it. And like, no, I have to understand everything. And it's just sort of one of those things. I'm like, you're trying to get a pass on the exam. There's no CFP cum laude, all right? There's, <laughs> there's you pass or you fail. I mean, so my whole thing is, is look, you, you, you get a solid B or a solid C and you pass the exam. There is so much material that goes into this. Um, and, and people say to me, they're like, well, if you took it, you would get an A. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know that I would. I think the exam is difficult. I think it's fair, but I think it's it's difficult. So it's sort of one of those things I know I'd make careless mistakes. I'd know I'd get it down to two answers and say both of these are right and get frustrated. But the the end game is, is to be able to deal with that and to understand the concepts and to realize that it's almost impossible to learn everything. I just don't know how you could right. keep it all inside over the course of a year or two years in learning the material. I, I think that would be difficult. So there is a little bit of picking and choosing. So our folks, they're usually people who were, you know, have worked who worked in, in the business uh, or at least a couple of years, but they are in the business at least a couple of years. You know, there many of them will be be licensed and so sort of they're working with clients and they come in and they want to work hard and they want to learn not only what they need to know for the exam but also how do things work in the real world? And our goal is in our programs, yes, we want you to pass the CFP exam, but we want you to leave a better advisor. Uh, And I've had so many folks tell me that, like, I didn't realize that I wasn't that good of an advisor. I didn't really realize that until going through the program. And now there's so many things that flew over my head before They don't fly over my my head now. And I tell them that I'm still trying to become a better advisor. I'll never get to where I want to get to because there's so much information out there. It's constantly evolving and changing and client circumstances change. So it may work for this client, but because these goals and these circumstances are different for this client, it doesn't work for that client. And for me, that's the fun part. And yeah. so, trying to do that in the exam, I think, tries to present situations, and that's what we're trying to do, provide cases and situations that help it helps the students understand, you know, what the exam is, is, is looking for, to the best More of our ability, of course. Yeah.
1: So, so, how many people typically go through the, the programs? Like, how – I'm just trying to say, like, how many, uh, how many classes are there? How many people typically go through classes?
2: Is anywhere from 100 to 250 people. It could, it really, it, there's large variation of, of range there for the fast track educational classes. So, you know, for the for all seven classes, and then for the reviews, you know, uh, 700 plus for each cycle. Um, you usually go through, wow. sometimes higher, some, some, sometimes lower. Uh, now you have to understand that, that they may be taking another review as well. Uh, yeah. So, so depending on, on what program they went through uh, and remember some of those are retakers. We have folks that right. we have a, a core contingent that actually come back, you know, every three to five years, not, a, not a large amount, but we'll have a segment that come back and, and just because they've already passed the exam, they want to relearn the material. They want to sharpen the saw. So, so yeah, so usually that's what it's been averaging over the past, you know, year or two,
1: three years when i 'm struck by that I mean I think on the last cycle, there were only air quotes there were only three or four thousand people who registered for the exam so you're i mean you 're living in a world where like one out, one out of every four or five students who were uh registering for an exam, maybe going through a a, a danko review program like, that 's pretty amazing to me
2: we've been we've been very blessed, and we also don 't um and there 's nothing wrong with this, but we don 't have a sales team. So I have my, I work with my brother, David, who's, who's, who's uh, uh, and my sister-in-law, Michelle, and they're wonderful. So, you know, our name's on the door. So we don't, we're not making, you know, we're not advertising, we're not making outbound calls where, hey, you know, trying to get people to sign up. We've just been really yeah. blessed through word of mouth. And for us, that's, it's humbling. And it also says that we got to try and keep getting better because we're not yeah. where we want to get to but we're going to continue to get better with the material, with instruction. I have two wonderful instructors, uh, Thomas Pablo and John Troy, and they're, they're just great to work with, truly care about students. And I think that that outreach to the students with hopefully good instruction, you know, good material, you know, can make the difference in, in getting through the exam.
1: So, Brad, like, where do you ultimately w- want this to go? because it sounds like you're like you're still not where you want it to be so where do you want it to go
2: uh well where i want it uh to go when i when i say i'm you know where where i'm not where i want to be it's it's less about numbers and it's more about just just making it a better program so that it's better in terms of you know, the CFP, we have more questions, better questions, uh, better ways to interface mm. with the students, better ways to get them the resources that they need. Um, I don't, when it comes to numbers, I've, I've, I've never really worried about that. Um, I've worried about just how do we make things better? And I found that if you can, you know, make things better and, and you know, own mistakes and accept criticism and try to do better... Uh, yeah. you know, you, you essentially can can be successful. So for me, that's 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 how I look at it. I mean, you know, somebody says, "Well, would you take over the CFP world?" That's what somebody joked to me once. Yeah. So I was like, "Well, first of all, that would never happen. There's so many good other programs out there that um, that are, that are battling for space. But it, it's not about that. It's all of us actually, you know, do, doing a good job and making sure that people are prepared for the exam. So as long as we keep getting uh, better, um, and I got to tell you, 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 you know, you, you get more numbers, uh, you get larger numbers. Well, that in and of itself forces you to change things around because you don't have as much personal time. So one of the nice things is is using you know uh, using technology to reach a great number of people. So instead of one-on-one or doing it live, you know, you're, you could do it virtually if you wanted to for the educational classes um, and doing group sessions in terms of, uh, you know, uh, study sessions and, and reviewing cases and questions. So, yeah, so it's really trying to utilize technology as, as we get bigger. And, um, and hopefully, hopefully we can, we can stay ahead of it.
1: So, I guess I'm also curious just in that in that vein. Like, how do you distinguish the the programs that you're doing versus the others that are out there? I guess particularly exam prep. Like, I understand fast track relative to a lot of other programs that just do it slower and a little bit more spaced out. But one of the challenges that I hear a lot from advisors, specifically those going through the the process and working towards their exam, is. There's all these different exam prep providers. Like I I I don't know how to tell them apart. Like it's not even a bet it's not even a like who's better or worse. Just like how are they even different <laughs> from one another? Cause they're all teaching to the same exam at the end of the day. Uh, like how how do you just distinguish and differentiate what what you're doing from the other options that are out there for advisors that are are trying to figure out how do you choose which one?
2: I mean, I think we're doing our best to pare down the material because there is so much material. And there's no way also that you can cover every single concept. And you say, well, you could cover, I'm making this up, uh, uh, um, uh, bonds. Okay, yeah, we're going to cover bonds, but there's intricacies of bonds that could be on the exam that you're going to have to cut out of a review course. It may be in the educational course, but you don't have as much time because you're just paring it down, paring it down, and paring it down. So I think preparing students to realize that they're not going to get an A. And I have people, they'll they'll say, No, I get an A in everything. I'm like, Well, it doesn't, it doesn't you're not gonna get an A on this. In fact, you'll get very frustrated if you're trying to get an A. Now you should study like you're trying to get an A, but on the actual exam, there's gonna be questions that you know, you're going to look at it and you can say, wow, this is really challenging. Or my mind's going blank right now because you're not a machine, you're not a computer. So you can't keep everything inside. You're not gonna get 100, even though some people try. So that's one of the things I try and break them of is that what you're trying to do is pass the exam and there's so much information, there's so many things that the CFP board could ask about and what they really wanna know is not that you got 100, is that you had a mastery of the majority or the whatever the number is, 70% or whatever it is, of the concepts and of the questions that they asked they they're not going to say sorry you got a 90 you got an 89 so you failed that is not what they're after they know it's really really difficult all this information so right. they're looking for that you preponderance of the material that you understand and you can go ahead and get through that and understand it be, be able to apply it to your clients and, you know, move forward as a, as a CFP. So I think most people out there, um, if you're taking it from a certificate program, meaning you're outside of the undergraduate world, you know, you're busy. You have a full-time job. You may or may not have a family. I'm upfront with folks. You're going to get questions that aren't in our review material. I, I know that because you have to pick and choose things things to take out. So, you know, we just try and do our best at doing that and it's, it's a constant struggle because it would be really easy just to add, here, here's a thousand pages. Here, go ahead and read this. But a lot of folks don't have that time and they're coming to you or I would say coming to us to sort of, you know, pare that down for them in, in the best way yeah. that that we can. And we haven't figured it out yet. We're just doing our best and we still have a lot of material that we give to people. Um, so it's just, that's why it's constantly evolving is to how do we make the program better? Where are people having problems? So if they say, hey, I'm really having trouble with the calculator um, and I get a number of students that are having trouble with the calculator. What does that mean? That means that our program wasn't doing a good enough job, so we, you know, revamped the calculator tutorial. We made a new calculator quiz. Um, folks were struggling with the um, financial formulas that they give you. So the formula sheet. And people were struggling with those. And, and, you know, it's basically, it's a lot of it's, it's basic algebra, but we haven't done algebra in years and years and years. So yeah. for, for for some folks. So what we did was we're like, you know what, we're going to go ahead and do some examples. Then we're going to do a quiz and really center in on that because we realized that, you know, our material, yes, covered it, et cetera, but it wasn't doing enough. So it's it's how to fill in the gaps, and, and that's what we're constantly trying to do. So I think I tell folks to take a review class. There's so many good ones out there. People say, well, you really want us to take yours? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, would be great. Um, but we're not the ideal for, for everyone. And some folks want to have you know tons and tons of, of material or they want it done over time. They don't want it done in in three right. and a half days. They want it done over an eight to ten week period because that works better with their schedule, and or they learn better, or they like it. You know, we we do an online version, but we also do live version. So they said, "Well, I don't I don't want to do that." Before we had an online version, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go live. I want to do it online. All these things are 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 you know we're we're we're, we're it's up to the advisor. Or up to the student to decide what works best for them. But you're right; lots of choices out there. We're we're blessed that a lot of people, you know, choose us. Um, but we're not we're not perfect for everybody.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So, so Brett, now help us understand the the other side of your world. This whole like oh, and there's like a giant advisory firm as well. So. Give us just some of the backstory here of, I think so many people are familiar with you for the exam prep side of the business. Like, where did the advisory side of the business come? Like, were you doing client advisory work before um, the education side, or you were doing the education side and then added in an advisory firm?
2: Yeah, I uh, I, in the early 2000s, I decided to to get my uh, CFP designation, and I – Went and attained it, and then I was working for an hourly fee doing financial planning
1: $75 an hour. So I was doing that, not managing any assets. Um, but I would be $75 an hour that must have been terrifying back then. You say out loud $75 yes. an hour, like. And Michael, I was also
2: doing it. catering at the time as well. I was also doing catering at the time. <laughs> so so to, well, to I, uh seventy five dollars an hour money.
1: Better than the catering work. So like that that that's good.
2: Well, you had to get Clients that would pay you seventy five dollars an hour. So that's 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 the trick. Uh-huh. Is uh, yeah. Uh-huh. If I had if I had a, a, a people lining up outside uh, wanting me to spend hours with them, that would have been one thing. Um, so uh, but but that was not the case. So I became a certified financial planner, and uh, I was doing um, hourly financial planning when I could get it, and I was also um, I was also doing speeches, a personal finance boot camp. I was speaking at uh, colleges universities um, so that was fun and then I also started to teach I started at a community college then I started teaching for a, for a program out there and then I realized what I really loved to do was teach so I would mostly you know I was teaching and teaching a lot and I started putting together my own classes because uh, I I was I lived Close to where the Maryland um, headquarters was in in Hopewell at the time, and so I knew a bunch of people over there uh, in the financial planning division. So I started up a class and uh, and that went well, and then I had people calling me from around the country from Merrill Lynch, and then even from other firms saying, hey, I heard about you, and would you teach us? But all at the same time, I was doing a small amount of financial planning and volunteer work, uh, just trying to help people at the Abused Women's Shelter as well as uh, people who were in inner cities, uh, folks who were trying to move from uh, assistance, either for affordable housing um, and, and, and welfare, on to, you know, working and, and living on their own. So I was doing volunteer work for, for, for that as well. So I was doing all these things. And then 2006 or seven, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but I, I, I was teaching a class and I, had, I went out to dinner with a number of folks and, and I was listening to these folks and I was like, you know, there's a number of these folks. It's not that they're bad people, but I don't think they work very hard. I don't know that they truly have the best interest of their clients. I was listening to like selling this product and that. And I said, and they make a lot of money. You know, the education business is great. But you know, maybe maybe I should do that. Like try to manage assets. So I, I spoke with a couple of my uh, former students and uh, and we started uh, working together. And so uh, and one of those students, uh, Mike Minter, is, is still 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 with us. And then we just started from there. So I don't so, I'm not recruiting folks. I just go out and 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 if they want to talk to me about what we're doing on the advisor side and Main Street Financial Solutions RIA side and I talked to him about it.
1: Interesting. So so for you it was this journey of started out as a pure hourly advisor, did that for a few years where it's difficult cuz you just need so many darn clients at x dollars an hour or $75 an hour to to add up to enough clients and enough fees to be a livable wage. So you're teaching as well, the teaching gets momentum. You're teaching in front of advisors who are running not an hourly business, but a more assets-based business and saying like, maybe I should be in the portfolio management side as well because their economics seem to be working better than my, my hourly business.
2: Yes. And one of the things that was frustrating is that many of the folks I worked with had an advisor and they were getting paid AUM. And I now, if somebody comes to me, I say, oh, you have an advisor? Why aren't you talking to them? That's what I say now. I didn't at the time um, because I still do hourly financial planning. I have a number of students that I've done plans for, executives, folks that just want me, They they want me to sort of look at their situation and they have lawyers, they have accountants, they have uh, money managers. They just want me to go ahead and, 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 and do that aspect of it for them. So I still do some of that. I do not manage any assets at our firm because of the teaching. If I were to be in a class with 100 people or even online with 100 people and the world fell apart, I can't say, sorry, I can't teach anymore. I'm going to go ahead and, and talk to my clients. So with the planning side, I find that there's rarely something that urgent on the planning side that you need to get done. However, on the money management or on moving money, things like that, uh, yes, things can come up like, hey, we really probably shouldn't have that happen. But there are emergencies that they come up. So So for me, I will do some planning, but I don't do any of the money management. People at our firm would do that. Now, they're also very good planners as well. Um, so I will, if somebody comes to me and I do planning. If that's yeah. all they want to do, I'll just do that. If they say to me, hey, what about managing the assets? I say, you would be perfect to work with, you know, this advisor. And then I provide the introduction and I still may or may yep. not help with the planning. Um, but the reason why I still do planning and 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 you know I'm, I'm I'm teaching, so that's one reason I'm I'm dealing with the concepts a lot. But the main reason why I will always do planning is because when I was in my mid twenties, I went to a, a session, and it was a, some kind of CE session. And I'm listening to this guy up there, and I'm I remember I'll never forget it. I'm looking at him; he's got like 14 hankies and 16 cuff lengths. I mean, he's all decked <laughs> out, right? He's, you know, my age now in his 50s. And and he basically was up there talking and we're in the back. And I said to somebody, I go, this guy hasn't sat in front of a client in a decade. And the guy looks at me, he goes, maybe two. So here he was talking about He had some huge title and I'm sure he made millions of dollars. And I was sitting there, I was like, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never, I'm just not. So, mm. no matter what, I am always going to do planning. On a volunteer basis, I have folks that have no money and it's harder to do the volunteer work when I'm dealing with you know other things. So, that is, that is an area that I want to get back to um, um, a, a little bit more. But, um, but I still help out with that for folks who have nothing. And then I have folks that I talk to that have you know, hundred plus million dollars. Um, so I'm not managing their assets per se. On some of them, I'm just sort of giving them overview of 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 their you know, of their situations because they have people who look at things in a certain way. They'll say, "Oh, uh, oh, I see it through this lens," and 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 that's the that that's what you should do. And what I try and do is look at, oh, there's many different lenses. To look at it, and oh, by the way, I'm not going to gain from one more than the other because you're paying me an hourly rate, Interesting. and it's not 75 anymore.
1: <laughs> I was to <gonna> say, <laughs> I, hope, I hope you've raised it a little, a little bit since then. <laughs> it's a bit higher now. Uh, but, but haven't you ever been in a situation
2: like that where somebody's giving a lecture and you're saying, "Oh yeah, this person has no idea what they're talking about."
1: Oh yeah, so I just uh, didn't
2: uh, want to be that person.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I'd 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 struggle with the same way. It's it's part of why I've always kept some some tie affiliation back to an advisory firm as as well. Like I'm not uh, in my own world. Similarly, like I'm not taking ongoing AUM clients directly at this point because I really wouldn't have the capacity to serve them well and on the timeline that I would expect them to be served. So you know, we would be happy to help you, right? And someone else at the at the firm can take that client, but. To me, it's similar, important. Like I never want to forget what it's like from time to time to still be sitting across from a prospect trying to bring them on board, or someone that's dealing with a planning issue to be able to have the conversation.
2: And and I also think you know regarding the planning side, or even even we'll say the so when I say money management, I for for us you know you know our advisors as CFPs the the money management is important. And, and, you know, I always, you know, so many people lead with investments. So for me, the investments always, they always kind of bored me because, you know, other people could, are more interested in that. and can do it better than, than I could. But the planning side, that was, uh, I, I joked that my brother, um, my brother who I work with, uh, I used to do puzzles when I was a kid. So my, my one brother is almost uh, well nine to 10 years older than I am. And then my other brother that I work with is roughly six years older than I am. And so they were older than me. And my one brother, when I would put together puzzles, and I'm five, six, seven years old, and I'd have a 500-piece puzzle that I'm putting together, he would steal some of the pieces. Now, I didn't know that at first. No. but what I And then at the end, he would go, hey, you're missing 20 pieces. And he'd throw them down. And then I'd finish the puzzle. So what I learned to do growing up was I learned to put together puzzles, not having all the pieces. Does that make sense? Uh, Because, you know, when you're doing the outline and, you know, that's the straight edge. Well, I knew that there might be that missing. I knew that the key piece I'm looking for may not actually be in the pieces that I have. My brother might have taken it and I may never get it back. Although he was a good sport about it, you give him back to me. But what was great is, is that when you, that's what financial planning is to me. People do not have all the, all the pieces. So right. you have to sort of put this together and you're saying, I don't have all the pieces, but we can extrapolate, you know, where, where, yeah. where we think things are going to go. And that for me is fun. And other people don't like that. Um, when I work with clients who are engineers, they love to be very specific you have real numbers, et cetera, and bridges can fall down. I said, for, for us, we don't have all the pieces. So if you could tell me exactly what day you're going to die, exactly how much money you're going to make mm-hmm. until then, exactly what your investment returns are going to be, exactly what your expenses are going to be at all times and where interest rates, et cetera. So et cetera. if you can give me all that data, I'll give you a complete and exact picture. But I can't do that. So what we have to do is we have to go with our best guesses. We look at historical norms, and then we talk to you. What are your goals? What are you looking to try and do? So if we can go ahead and do that, then we can make plans, and then that's a living, breathing document. So every year or two years or three, depending on on, on your stage in life, we're going to go back to it. And if I tell people, if you want me to do a plan for you, and then you're going to stick it in a drawer for the rest of your life, this is a waste of my time and a waste of your time. But if you view it as a living, breathing document, that actually you're going to pull, you're going to be like, wait a minute, how have things changed? Let's update Where are we now? And what other changes do we need to make? Uh, meaning spending more, spending less. I want to, you know, I have this goal that that's new. Then that's fun because that is an evolving document. Very cool. Sorry, I get very excited about this stuff. I just, it's 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 my passion about the the planning side much as other people get passionate about either ferraris or in our industry say about investments but the planning side really gets me excited
1: well i i do like the distinction around just what it's like to be trying to put together the puzzle pieces of planning versus you doing the investment side of the business or just the i don't know almost as i think of it the the there's a maintenance side to the investment business uh, really like once we've gotten the client on board and we've gone through the initial planning process and portfolio has been allocated that just, you know, we we have to maintain that relationship with the client and we have to nurture them off the proverbial ledge and we have to constantly reset expectations that like the recent bull market is not going to go forever or the recent decline is not going to go forever. Uh, That, you know, there, there's to me, there's a maintenance aspect to it that's very different than, the planning side, particularly the planning side with new clients, which is this like constant flow of puzzles of problems to solve. And I just like, I I appreciate your comments. It, It resonates for me. Like I, I also always appreciated the problem solving side of planning with new clients more than the ongoing work with longer standing existing clients. Just to me, like it it, it got a little bit boring after a while with the same client compared to the interesting new puzzle challenge of working on a new client's plan.
2: And, and can I add one, one more thing? Um, yes. one of the things that's you know exciting for me, and, and in our industry, there's these trends that you want to work with much wealthier people and I mm-hmm. guess they're more profitable and things like that. You know, if somebody has 10 or $20 million, sure, we can talk about different planning ideas and, 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 and yes, we can save them some money, but when it comes right down to it, they're not going to run out of money. They're never going to worry about making rent, if you know what I mean. Yep. Whereas when you're working with somebody who has 200,000 or 500,000 or very, even, you know. You know, smaller amounts than that, or even, or even a million, and they want to retire, and they've been making sort of two hundred thousand a year, and you're like, wait a minute here. Now we really got to get into planning in terms of the nitty gritty of of what are our expenses, what is our asset allocation, what is our liquidity that that we need for in terms of cash flow, and and really get into that. And they may not be able to accomplish all their goals, so we have to be very specific about what those goals. Would, uh, uh, w- would cost, but also then prioritize those goals. I find that really can make a difference in someone's lives. And it's not just right. their life, but their children's lives and their grandchildren's lives. Yeah. Whereas somebody with 25000000 yeah, million, I'm, I'm not saying I don't want that client. I'm not saying that. There's just a limit as to how much I can actually impact their life.
1: So, Brett, I understand the dynamic now for your practice, right? I, I, I want to focus on planning clients that so I can stay fresh and like never forget what it's like saying across some clients as I'm teaching this, uh, and you know, clients give a never ending stream of wonderful stories for, uh, for, for education to to advisors. Uh, you know, planning clients are a good fit for that. Investment clients that's more challenging because of the the ongoing, just like timeliness demands. Right, you've got to take their call when markets are volatile. You, they may have timely cash in cash out disbursement needs and other issues, which is hard when you've got your teaching load. So you'll grab the planning only clients, other advisors in the firm can work with the client if it's, if it's got an ongoing investment need. So then help us understand more broadly, like the firm then, and, and where and how Main Street Financial Solutions fits in relative to your, you know, the Brett Danko practice in particular, what does the firm look like?
2: Yeah, so our RIA Main Street Financial Solutions we have 27 advisors, not including myself, uh, and then we have 23 teams. So we have uh, some folks who who have paired up, and and then we have a, a wonderful team around that in on on the management side. So um, that 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 help. You know me to go ahead and make sure everything is 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 done in the right way. So each of those advisors, uh, except for one, have been uh, have been a, a former student of mine, and even that person has taken a bunch of our CE. So he says he's a student as well. Uh, so I said okay, so we'll, we'll include you in. And so the, you know, CFPS sort of. Drink the Kool-Aid, you know about you know being a fiduciary and 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 understanding that planning does matter. Investments, insurance matters obviously, but planning uh, uh, really matters and and really ties ties things together. So each one of those um, uh, individuals or team uh, manages their own assets. So they own their own clients. Um, they can leave at any time. Uh, they can manage the assets any way they want. Uh, We have some folks that, you know, use a a certain, you know, common investment style. Uh, And then we have other folks who use a little bit of this and a little bit of that, whatever makes sense for them and their clients. Um, So they're around the country, mostly on on the Northeast, we're as far as uh, Texas and up to uh, north of Boston. And so it's just, it's a a wonderful group of people and it's a lot of sharing of ideas. And we're still, you know, just trying to, to improve upon that to be able to share ideas with one another. And when something comes up that, that they call me or they call you know, one of the other advisors, and they'll say, yeah, I think that person dealt with that situation. You ought to talk to them. So, it's a way of networking amongst all of ourselves. And really, this has been a a long haul, you know, trying to go ahead and and do this over the years and bring this together. Because remember, each person is independent, but they are under our wing. They are W-2 employees for the most part, W-2 employees. And they also, you know, we concentrate, you know, just on assets under management or uh, fee hourly fee. So that's re- or retainer fee. So those are the ways that that we get paid as a, as a true RIA.
1: So, so what does the su- I guess just the support staff structure look like to to support twenty seven uh, advisors? Like, do you have a bunch of internal like operations and trading and other sorts of? of folks that are part of this as as well, or do the advisors all then like staff their own local teams of of admin and other support?
2: So- they would um they would staff their own um, own office, although we would be you know, paying for that. Um, so we would handle their payroll, their rent, all of their expenses as part of the, the the deal that we work out with them. And so for us, we want them concentrating on working with existing clients and if they want to get more clients. And that's, that's what our goal is. So if we can go ahead and take the administrative side off the table, that's great. Also on the compliance side, so we're handling the tech issues. So we are, we're making a a move. We're in the process of moving over to Orion. So we're working with a consultant and who's serving essentially as a CTO to make sure that that. Uh, um uh goes smoothly and that we are are ready for 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 everything that entails um you know in terms of us plugging into Orion as a firm uh in terms of you know compliance making sure that somebody's looking at emails and is blessing uh newsletters that go out or slide presentations um, things like that. Also on the practice management, we just had somebody uh, join our firm. We have decided to really try and grow this aspect of our business. and we've uh, we've we've brought on some more personnel. Um, so and, and we also brought on a, a, our, our new president and and co-managing partner with me named Ted Durkin. So he has had a lot of experience at um, at other firms. And for him, he's you know really a practice management expert. And so, with the education on my side and understanding situations, as well as his practice, uh, practice management, hoping to allow our advisors to get even better at their jobs than, than than they already were. So we're we're excited about that. We're putting a lot of time and money into the firm, you know, to to you know really be able to get bigger. Not necessarily just to get bigger, but to be offered more services and better services to our existing advisors and potentially new advisors.
1: So what kinds of services are you hoping to add? Like what, what becomes complementary from where you are now?
2: Yeah. So right now um, we are we are using Morningstar, which has served our needs to date. Um, and most of the advisors will use their own version of financial planning software. So there's many out there um, and, yeah. and they they will choose which one they want um for us uh going over to to Orion for more portfolio management if that's something that they wanted but also with Orion really getting the whole package uh from them from the financial planning side um if they, if they choose to use that some of them are, are going to use uh, other other financial planning software but then also just just helping us out from the compliance side on being really able to track things in a better way so one of the the big things that I I think you get at our firm is you get access to a great group of advisors, but then also you get access to somebody like me who's seen so many different situations. And I know when to say, it's above me. You need to be talking to an estate attorney. You need to be talking to a CPA about that specifically. And one of our advisors once said, they said, if you tell me that, I don't worry about not knowing it. And they said that actually is, is very helpful. You know, we have a person who does a weekly newsletter. And what's interesting is, yes, we have to read it for compliance. So they will send it to, they send it every, uh, every Friday and they send it to, uh, myself and, and, and our COO, uh, uh, every Thursday night. And what's interesting is we read it. But I'm not worried about this individual putting in there, well, we're going to guarantee 20%. (laughs) I'm not worried about that. I'm just not. So I'm looking at it. I'm looking at words. And I will. I have more questions of, hey, the second paragraph, what point are you trying to get across? Because it's a little fuzzy. And they'll actually go ahead and, and rework it a little. So it's less on, hey, I'm worried about them putting something that they shouldn't put in there. And it's more of, what's the message to the client? Our firm, we have two, two sayings, is what's best for the client, and no jerks allowed to work here. And if you're a jerk, we'll probably ask you to leave. And so, uh, and somebody said, well, what does that mean? Who's a jerk? And they said, we'll tell you. Or actually, I'm not saying I will, but but our team, our management team will tell you, you know what, you're, be, you're being difficult. And so for us, it's about, are you serving the client first? Are you also trying to help out and, and be a good, I would argue, citizen within our firm if somebody needs help? Are you able and willing uh, to help them? I don't mean every day work with them, but are you willing to provide guidance if, if they really need it? And we really have a special group of people and it's it's continuing to evolve. And And uh, and I think that culture is is fun and it's dynamic and we hope to be able to grow it without really changing the culture, which I think is going to be a challenge. So doing better on the tech, doing better on resources to be able to say, here's other types of investment philosophies you might want to be thinking about. Remember, each advisor can manage assets in the way they want. We do not have a central theme uh, at the firm. And part of that is, is if we're not providing uh, the level of service that you need, guess what? You can leave. You own your clients and they're not tied into a portfolio at at one firm that they couldn't replicate elsewhere.
1: So how does that work? I guess I'm just trying to visualize from the investment management end. Like do they do they each trade their own portfolios because they're they're setting their own philosophies and models or do you have some kind of centralized trading team that manages all like that implements all of their models? Just how, how does that work in a multi-advisor firm like yours?
2: Yeah, so we are um, we we have an obviously we have an investment committee, but really each advisor is in charge of managing the assets in the way they see fit. We have a number of advisors who simply say, "Hey, I'm going to farm this out." And obviously the investment committee is going to be looking at that and saying, "Okay, you know, what are your what are your separately managed accounts? What is your asset allocation? Does it fit in together with risk tolerance and liquidity needs, um, etc." Some advisors want to be more hands-on but what we're finding is is that more and more advisors are looking at is there a way uh, based on you know goals risk tolerance liquidity that we can actually that they can plug into something and and so for us it's um, it's really allowing the advisor to do what they think is best for their clients and then us walk looking it over uh, from from a compliance standpoint and a risk management standpoint so for it's it's kind of a ubu but you were looking over your shoulder as well, I, so some advisors will will go ahead and they actually want to spend time on the investment and they make up their own models and their own separately managed accounts and that's wonderful. Yeah. And then others just say uh, we have a couple. We have a, an advisor here who came up with his own models and they're essentially you know ETF low cost passive um, yeah. uh, investment uh, groups of investments based on risk tolerance, uh, and and we have a number of advisors who go ahead and utilize. Uh, utilize uh, that person for it for rebalancing, et cetera. We have a number of folks who use uh, dimensional funds, which are wonderful. So it all depends on what the advisor wants, but we're not going to dictate, you know, what that has to be.
1: But then, do they each literally do their own trades, like they're logging into the custodian or whatever your trading tool is to queue up forty-seven shares of the ETF for Betty?
2: Uh, they would, although you can do block trading, etc. Unless uh, they have farmed that out to someone else. So I say I don't want to deal with investments in terms of you know dealing with the nitty gritty of it. And this person has uh, a, a number of wonderful models. So I'm actually going to. Go ahead and let them do it, and maybe pay them a, a certain amount of money. Or I'm going to set up separately managed accounts. So the separately managed accounts are going ahead and doing the internal trading. And then where you know it comes in is we're you know the advisor's looking at it quarterly or you know definitely yearly, saying, all right, what are what are, what are we doing here um, in terms of you know client needs and and uh, and and is it is it the right portfolio? To, to move forward to the next quarter or the next six months or the next year. So it it all depends. Some of our advisors want to be very hands-on and others don't want to be hands-on at all.
1: Right. and And thus the transition to Orion to try to have a, a standard platform that everyone uses for this? Is is that part of the driver of- I I think that's part of the driver.
2: Yeah, and they have different trading platforms that I think think it'll be better uh, for us on a compliance side, just making sure things are are done right. Um, Also, right now we're just using Morningstar. So for Morningstar, which has served our needs for performance software- But Orion, there's other things that we can do. And obviously you pay more for it, but there's things that that we can do on Orion that I think the advisors, once they jump into it, is gonna it's gonna save them time. uh, and it's also gonna allow us to have a better handle on what people are doing out there in terms of our, our advisors as we grow.
1: And so that's the transition from Morningstar Office over to the Orion capabilities.
2: Yes. And so we'll be running both of them for about a yeah. year, so we're you know we're not we're gonna we're we're paying for two two systems and uh, because it's the right thing to do because we need to make sure that both systems are are running before we shut off uh, before we shut off Morningstar.
1: And so then, how does this work? Just from the the like the business economics perspective, like are, are do they uh, do you have like a payout rate style? structure they get a certain percentage of their revenue and then the firm gets the rest for the tech and the team support and and what you provide uh, like is it a percentage basis is it a dollar yep. basis like how, a how does that model basis. work
2: yeah it's a percentage basis and and if people really are pushing me i i tell them you know if they're you know looking um you know they're they're Talking to me about possibly working with us, and i 'll say to them, look my, my, the final offer is ninety five percent payout and ten percent deferred comp uh, on that uh, one year later, and they look at me and I say you know we're we're not, we're not uh, it doesn't work that way so we're not we, we have to actually make money. we actually have staff that we have to pay for, et etc so you know usually it's anywhere from sixty to seventy percent, but then we're also paying for your assistant, your rent. Uh, compliance um, your you know portfolio software um, usually your financial planning software so we're not you know our our goal is to uh, yes we're're we're, our goal is to make money but we're not really looking at the margins that other firms would be looking at I'll be straight up uh, you know we're we're not you know we, I talk to different people and there's margins of you know 30 percent and we're that isn't really our goal we're we're below twenty percent. And we think that if we can work with the right people, grow with the right people, we can give more of that back to the advisor in either services or actual comp. Uh, and if we can do that, hopefully they'll they'll want to stick around for, for a long, long right. time.
1: Right. Well, I, I mean, I think moment. of it from the classic like advisor profit and loss benchmarking, like uh, advisory firms as they grow, once they get past – Sort of in initial stages and start building team structure around themselves. Like it, very common to have thirty to forty percent in in overhead expenses for an advisory firm, and so you know your your margin as an advisor after overhead is often right in the sixty to seventy percent range, anyways. So you're you're replicating the same thing, except you don't have to hire your people and buy your tech and do all the incremental stuff to get there as an advisor with the firm. Just we'll handle that. You get your portion for doing what you're doing, which is kind of how most advisor P&Ls wrap up anyways.
2: And what, what, one of the things we try and do is once you get over a certain level, then you get 80% of your payout. Once you, of, of all the Fiji, 80% payout, once you get over, say, a, a big level of 5 million or something like that, uh, then you would get a 90% payout. I mean, for us, obviously, the, you have your fixed expenses. And then after that, you're looking at some miscellaneous administrative costs, uh, payroll costs, as well as liability costs. Uh, so, so yeah, our goal is, is that since they own their clients and they can leave at any time, that's the other thing we, we make sure that, you know, like leaving in the dead of night and calling your clients on the side. I don't know how that's best for your clients. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just don't. So I, you know, our thing is, is if somebody wanted to leave, they would come and tell us and, and they would say, you know, uh, over the next 30 to 60 days, let's transfer them out. Now I understand in the current environment, I understand why that exists. I I totally get it for all the legal reasons, but if, if somebody's at our firm and they don't want to be here, you know what, we, we actually don't want them to be here. Not because we don't like them, but why have, people who are unhappy around you. I want to work with people who want to work together or, you know, a little around 2 billion or a little less than that. If we had the right, you know, mix and we were at 4 to 6 billion, but we had a great group of people, I would say that's hugely successful. If we had 20 billion, but it was a hodgepodge of, of groups and we weren't really happy and, and it was a bit of a mess. Yeah. You may make more money, but you know, my, my joke is always with my kids, sometimes more isn't better. Sometimes more is just more. And so it's sort of, are you creating the culture or trying to, because that's a huge challenge, as you know, and are you creating the culture that that has the advisor and more importantly, the client uh, succeeding? And if you can do that, then that's great. So currently, we, aren't, we don't have any private equity money, which is nothing wrong with, with RIAs with private equity money. At this point in time, we've decided to reinvest profits and, and make sure that we're going to build in a certain way. Because I never wanted anybody to say, well, hey, your quarterly numbers are low or your annual numbers are low. If we're growing in the right way and we have the right people, I I think we're okay with that. And our goals are just to get better. And if we we do need to grow, I don't I think if you don't grow, you may not be able to provide the tech and the other services uh, to, to the, the advisors and the clients. So we do, we do need to grow. It's just how do you grow in the right way to create an environment where everybody's having fun and accomplishing your goals?
1: And so how big is it now as it adds up to, I mean, I think you said 27 advisors sound like you said right around 2 billion in assets, depending yeah. on what, what markets do, yeah. do from day to day.
2: So yes, yes and, close, and close, close close to that yeah
1: and do you know what's the client base overall like how many clients could served across that
2: we, uh, we so have many advisors prox- yeah we have approximately 1700 households i would say so probably okay. ar- around okay. there um, accounts probably more than 5000 because we're going through right. this exercise with uh, with 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 Orion, with, with Orion. Um, so yeah so a little over 5000 accounts um, and so, yeah, so our, our households are probably around a, a million dollars, uh,
1: once you put put them all together, a li- little over that. Um, so yeah. So Brett, now I bring me back to, I guess, a version of the question I asked at the, at the beginning of our discussion. So you've got all the, all the classes and the education work that you're doing now we're at like, oh, by the way, 27 advisors, 2 billion in assets, uh, very, very sizable firm. So like how do you manage all this again like how do you manage the firm side with just that many advisors that many people there's a lot of there's a lot of people issues that crop up with that many people uh,
2: yeah uh, i'm truly blessed with a great team and i know a lot of people just say that oh yeah we have a great team Truly blessed, um, but but you know between um, just a number of people, um, our our COO Courtney Elliott and our CFO Terry Delgalvis and and Ted Durkin joining us and we we and and many others, uh, but we work together as a team. And, um, and, and I gotta tell you, that makes all the difference in the world. And we also have fun doing it. We are friends with one another. Sometimes that's a little difficult when business things come up, but, uh, but for the most part, we're honest with one another. Communication is key is, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And, um, it's, it's one of those things that for me, you know, we we were talking about this technology, just, you know, trying to get on the call here. You know, I was I was messing it up. And I have uh, a woman I work with, uh, Dawn Shannon, who's fabulous. And she's like, would you just get out of the seat? I'll take care of this. <laughs> and uh, no, but it was it was wonderful. It's just that we know each other's strengths and weaknesses and um, and we care about each other. And I know they say that elsewhere. I really believe we we have that, and then on the education side, you know, with my brother, my, sister-in-law, my sister-in-law's sister in law, my sister in law's sister works with us full time as well. Uh, we just have a really good group of people with our instructors and the other folks that that are on the team. Um, we have a, a woman who helps out with our our corporate partnerships named uh, named Libby Mueller. So we just we work together and we talk and we don't. Yell at each other, and we don't. It's 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 business, and and it's not personal. And it's it, it, kind of one of my sayings is you manage the process. Whatever's going on, it's like you manage the process. If you're having trouble getting online, okay, let's manage the process. Let's go through. Let's try to not get upset. How do we work through this problem? Uh, and if we need outside help, we get outside help. I think that's the biggest thing. I'm very blessed. I'm also incredibly blessed. You know, my wife, I met her first day of college. We met uh, September 1st, 19... 86 at the University of Pennsylvania. We lived in the dorms together, um, in uh, in Speakman basement, and uh, we were right next to one another, and we've been best friends ever since. So it'll be 37 years uh, this September 1st that we've been best friends, and then we started dating, uh, you know, you know, l- later in college, and then afterwards, uh, got got more serious. And I'm so blessed that she has been able to understand the the dynamic of. My passion, which is working with students and working with advisors and working on a team and helping clients achieve and students achieve those goals and so she basically says, "Hey, I know that that you you love that I have two kids i have a a daughter who's twenty one and a son who's eighteen and 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 you know they've been 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 great because they will say to me you know they'll, one time they've heard me speak and they were like dad that was a little boring now they were younger and they no. said but you seem to be very excited about it and uh, and I said yes I am so they know that's my passion so I'm really blessed to have people around me I and I like I said a lot of people say that I I, I really am fortunate to to have that.
1: So help me understand a little bit more just this this management team structure that you that you have around you at the firm like what what are the it's like the the proverbial seats on the on the bus of who supports you in in leadership of a firm at this size.
2: So it's it's and it's Totally segmented. So on the Brett Danko Education Center, um, that actually is my brother and my sister-in-law, and then other folks will be running the business. Um, so, so they will go ahead and, and take care of that portion of it. Um, and then they basically come to me saying, hey, uh, there's an error in the material or... Uh, I usually see a lot of the emails from students um, that, that say, "Okay, what are we have? What are they having trouble with?" Because remember, if a number of students comment that they don't understand a concept, do you know whose fault that is, Michael? It's my fault that's, that's because yours. I didn't do a good enough job explaining it in the material or when it was taught, and that's where we're blessed with our two other instructors uh, that are just incredibly helpful in terms of saying, "Okay." Yeah, I'm answering this question, etc., because I can't get to this many students. You, you just can't. So that's on the education side. And then on the other side between our, like I said, our chief operator, our sorry, chief financial officer, um, uh, the, the new person who, who joined us is our president, uh, uh, Ted Durkin. Uh, and then we have a number of people as well that are working Working together, so Ted came over with with a woman named uh, Mackenzie uh, Bento. We had a compliance director, uh, and now we have a a, a new compliance director, and now he's looking at things with with fresh eyes. So I think we were in good shape. So I think all of them working together. We do uh, we do a meeting every week. Where we're we're, we're both businesses, where we try to keep it to an hour. All right, what are we worried? We have a running list of topics that of of low, medium, and high importance is to 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 what we're going to work on that week. Trying to stay organized and uh, and just trying to work together and communicating. So that's really you know we have you know people on on each side that are doing it, and it's fun because they're they're in the same office for the most part. So I'm going back and forth. I'll be in one meeting. And then I'll leave and go to the back right. of the office and be in a different meeting. And so for me, sometimes I, I'm not sure what business uh, I'm going. I'm like, wait, wait, where am I? Yeah. Oh, I'm dealing with the education side. What are the problems there? But I do think that, that one of the things that you have to realize is, is, is as somebody, and I'm sure you've realized this, you can't do it all and other folks can do things and make up for your weaknesses. I'm not saying you have any weaknesses, but I definitely have weaknesses. So for those weaknesses, they come in and they say, hey, we're gonna go ahead and do this. So for example, I am a macro person. I view everything in the macro, whereas uh, I'm not a micro person. So, you know, who did I marry? I married a micro person. Who runs the, the businesses, that, that nitty gritty side? More micro people. And so we, my my wife likes to joke that you know I have movies and and books and various uh, uh, less life lessons and stories that I wanted my children to to know as they grew, and I had it all written out and say I want you to read you know this book when you're 12 or 13, and then we'll talk about it, etc. So my wife said, "You're great at all that, yet you would forget to send them to school. You just go <laughs> off to work, and they'd be at home." Or you would forget to send them to school with a lunch. You would just be like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think about lunch. So I know that's a weakness. So it's sort of one of those things of realizing you can't do it all. And, and one of my mentors, I always had mentors. I always sought them out. And I always urge young people to do this. Search out mentors. And I remember my first mentor was the grandpa who lived next door who was married for 50 plus years. And he you know, was a great grandpa. And, and I was like, wow, he's just the nicest guy. And I said, hey, could, could I just ask you questions? I didn't even know what a mentor was, but he, he became you know, my mentor. And so, different people from business and personal have helped me out over, over the years. And I remember one of them said to me, they said, look, you know, you're going into college now. Learn your strengths and weaknesses in college and in your 20s. If you learn your strengths and weaknesses... That'll help you out so much in different environments, especially if you get on a leadership team. Because the person that says, Well, I can do it all, you can't. And other people have gifts to offer. Allow them to offer those gifts and allow yourself to make mistakes and allow them to make mistakes. And I didn't think about it, you know, when I went to college or whatever, but now they look back on it. Probably some of the best advice I, I,
1: I ever got. So, I guess I'm fascinated. Like, how do you get comfortable as a macro person, or I guess for lack of a better term, like s- surrendering so much control over the businesses to micro people who are running them? Like, I again, on the one end, like they're good at getting the things done because that's their that's their gift and strength. But just I've seen a lot of advisors over the years that are good at the macro, but really struggle with how much just control you either let go of or feel like you're losing when when you put people into those seats and give them that much control over over the business
2: i constantly struggle with that just going to be upfront about it i i worry about everything i wake i woke up last night with a it wasn't nothing major but i was like boom i forgot to look into that so i usually keep a a, a pen and a and a notepad by my by my bed so, um, and then uh, I don't know how old you are, but once you get over 40, 45, as a guy, I usually have to get up and go to the bathroom once. So, I'll write it down, go to the bathroom, and then wash my hands and then come back and go back to sleep, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I worry about everything. So, I'll be driving and I'll you know say to my wife, hey, write this down, or I'll just make a mental note of it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because... I'm always thinking of the little things, and I'm always worried about what will go wrong. Having said that, having people that you trust does give you peace of mind. And, and people who are smart, trustworthy, uh, and and work hard. Yeah, I mean, I, when I said I'm really blessed on that, I, I am. Um, so it isn't as though I don't know what's going on. I can dig into the nitty-gritty I just tend to get lost in it too much. So I've learned to sort of say, okay, how are you? Ha- oh, you're handling it that way. I understand how you're doing it. We're good. I'm going to leave you alone. So I do ask the questions. Um, and sometimes every once in a while, they'll say, hey, Brett, we got this. And I'm like, okay. And that's their way of saying, hey, buzz off. I, I got this covered. And you know, I have your back. And that's the other thing. These folks, I have their back and, and, and they have mine. And, and like I said, we're, we're friends and, and we love one another. So, and that, and that matters. Some of them are my actual family on the Brett Danko side. So there you go.
1: So what surprised you the most about this journey of building the businesses?
2: Uh, What surprised me the most? um, What surprised me the most is the amount of effort and time that it takes to build a successful business or two. What I mean is when you're in your 20s or in your early 30s, say you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just set up shop and I'll be a success. Now, that works if you're, and I make it's a, a joke, it's if you're part of the lucky sperm and egg club, meaning mommy or daddy give you a business. Uh-huh. I've had students before and like, well, yes, yeah, so I managed 300 million. I go, didn't you in- inherit that from your mom or dad? Oh, yeah. I go, you built nothing. Like, just, just just, say thank you, okay? It is hard building a business. And I thought when we went into money and, you know, managing assets, I was like, well, this will be easy. We'll just open up the doors. And people, I mean, we may have to hire a bouncer to keep people outside be- because they're because all going to
1: come in. Because yeah. I've seen how many bad advisors there are out there. Like, I'm a good advisor. Once I yes. hang my single, like, the line should be out yes. my door.
2: Yes, and they might get rowdy, and they might get hungry at that. I may have to feed them while they're waiting in line, so of course, I'm joking, but I think that's one of the biggest things is it takes time, and you know just you know I, the, you know the is the, the old adage you know the harder you work, the the luckier you get, but I think it's also just showing up i mean being there and working hard and you know, what it, I think it was Woody Allen. Didn't he say like 80% of success is just showing up? Yeah. And also just being curious and asking questions. I, I always saw, uh, you know, all the, if you, you know, my son graduated high school and, and, of course, at the graduation, do something that you love. You know, one of the speakers said, yep. the problem is, is, that, is that a lot of people don't know what they love. So, you have some people who are yep. naturally curious about everything, but what I find is, is that it takes a while for many people to find what they really want to be curious about. And unfortunately, some people never find that. So it's sort of one of those things where trying to, to find that, and, and if you can do that, I, I think it helps with the, the, the actual process, but asking me what surprised me, just how hard it is to do it when somebody isn't giving you the break. It wasn't so somebody gave you the job or put you a leg up or landed some clients for you. Man, it's hard. I mean, hard, I think. Um, And I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm very, I worked hard. um, But I also was fortunate and lucky along the way to have people around me, certain, you know, just I had good parents. Uh, that, that always taught me right from wrong. We didn't have tons of money, but, but we weren't dirt poor. But you know, they taught me you know, the value of education, the value of hard work, of doing the right thing, of having empathy, which is sort of people ask me, like, what's the most important thing of a financial advisor? And I just say, easy. It's easy. It's empathy. And they're like, well, don't you have to understand math? I go, it's empathy. It's understanding the client. You can farm out the investments. Heck, you can farm out the planning. But if you don't have a, a link with that person and understand what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish short, medium, and long-term, and I think that if you work hard and you try and do the right things, it'll happen, but man, it takes longer than you think.
1: So how long did it take for you? Like How long was it before you're finally like, I'm, I'm there? This is going to work. I don't, and the, and the, I'll, I'll be up straight up
2: with you. I'll be straight up with you. I, I don't feel that I'm there. When I was younger, I used to measure, try to measure myself against other people, um, and 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 after a while, you kind of realize that's a that's a fool's errand, and so what I just say is, hey, can I measure myself against where I was yesterday? And so I don't look at it as, well, you know, how many clients do you have, or how much money are you making, or you know, you know, do you have a nice house or whatever? All those things are byproducts, and they're wonderful, um, but I got to tell you, it's am I getting better? So. Will I ever be the financial advisor I want to be? No. And I'm not just saying that to try and be humble and to say and sound cool or whatever, because I'm not cool. I'm not, I never was cool. And, and when I was younger, I'm not cool now. I'm saying that because I honestly believe that I'm just trying to get better. And I don't think I'll ever get to that point. They asked, uh, you know, great athletes, which obviously I, I peaked as an athlete when I was 11 years old. So it's been downhill <laughs> since then, but true, uh, it is true. But understand like great athletes if they ask like Michael Jordan, like, what do you do to get better? And he goes, and they go, are you the best that you can be? He goes, no, like I got to get better. Like great athletes, great professional. If you asked, uh, you know, a great, if you asked Meryl Streep, you know, are you successful? And she goes, well, I have a lot of nice stuff. I won a bunch of Oscars and stuff. But no, because there's an accent I haven't mastered yet. Even though she's mastered every other accent, so it's one of those things. It's it's like you're just trying to get better. It may sound trite, but that's kind of where I am. So I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't ever think I'll ever get there. And some people would say that's sad because you should be able to kind of smell the roses. And I do try sometimes. Am I happy of what we've uh, accomplished so far? Yes. Can we do better? Yes, but that better doesn't necessarily mean more money. It just means, that for me, it's the processes and working better as a team. And if we do that, then I find that the growth and the money uh, takes care of itself.
1: So then, what was the low point on this journey for you? Uh, the low point.
2: Um, I. Uh, I. After college, I. I. I I ended up working at a uh, at a small hedge fund and um, well my father passed away when I was in high school so I was going into my senior year in high school so that was uh, that was traumatic in and of itself and I went on my little journey of, uh, of of the meaning of life there throughout high school the rest of high school and then and then college and then I ended up working for a for a small hedge fund and uh, and it sort of it, it went it went that kind of folded and then it went into another business, which was a, a, a technology trading business. And that essentially went under as, as well. And I didn't, I wasn't managing, I was working there. Um, and, and I was, you know, I was a mess. I was, I had no confidence. I was, you know, I was, uh, you could argue suicidal. I was de- severely depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. I didn't have a job. And here I am, you know, in my early thirties and, Thinking, you know, I'm a failure, and that's it. And um, and you know, my I credit my wife for really, you know, really being there for me. Um, and I uh, I remember going to a, a therapist. Uh, that the doctor was like, "You really need to talk to somebody." I was like, "I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm I'm from Pittsburgh, man. We're not going to talk to anybody." It was the best thing I ever did. What was great is is while I was talking to the therapists, uh, I would come home and I'd say, "Yeah," and then this, and then this, and it was great. And my wife said, I told you that three weeks ago. Yeah. like, yeah, but he said it better. He said it better. But what was great is after it was, I think, three months or so, twelve or thirteen sessions. I had been writing up what I wanted to accomplish, which is what we're talking about right now. I wanted to have, I wanted to teach, I wanted to lecture, I wanted to have an, uh, I wanted to have a business where I was doing financial planning, possibly managing assets, having other advisors. I wrote up my business plan. And it's kind of been carried out uh, uh, since then. But I wrote that in that three month process. I was talking with this advisor, uh, this uh, therapist, every week, and he was a very old therapist. and uh, And he said to me, "He goes, look, you're done." And I said, "What do you mean? Are you firing me?" He goes, "I'm firing you. You've written up your life plan. You you're ready to go." And I wrote up things I wanted for my kids that were unborn, not like where they went to college, but did they have empathy? Were they good people, et cetera? So I wrote up sort of my life goals, materialistic, business, uh, personal, all that stuff. And I wrote it up over a three-month period. And, uh, and he just said, look, you don't need me anymore. And then as I was building the business, one of the things that was difficult for me is I spent teaching live classes about... well. Forty-eight to fifty weeks a year, I was on the road for. You include a travel day, kind of five days. Um, so, um, so I spent a lot of time on the road, and I, you know, I missed my kids. You know, a lot of their growing up when, when they were little, and there were certain events that I missed, etc. Because I was out building a business. So I think some folks think that it's oh, it's easy. That that's that's the thing that that surprised me was how hard it was. And going in, I would have said, "Yeah, I know it's hard. I just didn't realize how hard it was doing both, both, especially both businesses, and that you do have to make trade-offs. Uh, and it's really hard for that work-life balance. And now, you know, my my you know, my youngest is now leaving for college, and 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 that's wonderful. And you know, I'm looking forward to spending time, you know, with with my wife. So, um, so there you go.
1: So, is there anything else that like you?" You know now and wish you could go back and tell you you know 20 years ago as you were first getting started with the first version of the advisory firm? I would
2: say just get started, believe in yourself, um, uh, make sure that you know i I didn't I had enough financing essentially for us to live for two years, and my wife said, "You got two years." I don't mean that you're making a lot of money. I just mean that you can bring in some money. And after two years, if you don't think it's going to work, or after a year and a half, you go. Guy, you have to go get a job. And, uh, and I vowed that I was not going to work for anyone else unless I had to, because there's nothing wrong with that. I had just had a circumstances where I didn't control my destiny. And I wanted to, if I failed, I wanted to fail because of me or succeeded, succeed because of me. Um, but yeah, I would say get started, believe in yourself, um, and just, you know, just realize that it's it's going to be hard. And when it's hard, you know, you, you you have a wall, look, find out a way to break through that wall, go around that wall, and, and really, uh, uh, you know, make sure that you just keep going at it if it's your dream. Um, I, I would also say, you know, leverage, you know, relationships, um, you know, make sure that you, 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 you stay, which, which I always tried to do. But I tell younger folks, really, um, you know, I would want you to, to, when you have mentors out there or former, you know, bosses or professors or teachers or, or anything like that, neighbors, you know, utilize their experiences. All I know is, is that I kind of don't understand life sometimes. Like I don't understand like relationships sometimes and what to do in life and this and that, but they've kind of screwed up and they've lived it. So why wouldn't (laughs) I ask them about it? No, seriously. And other people thought I was nuts. People do want to help, but they also want somebody who's serious. So if you're going to waste their time. Yeah, it's, it's not going to work. You know, be curious about their lives, if they're willing to share, and then how that can essentially go ahead and, 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 and seep into your life. And the other thing I would just, uh, which, which I always tried to do was was read and then say, you know, not everything, but I would read different things. I'd say, well, how does this affect, you know, my life? Or how does this affect our clients? You know wh- where could I use this? Because then it's it's not an obscure article, and I'll be honest with you. I've read articles of yours, and I'll be like, wait, wait, wait. That's scenario number two. Because you always have a bunch of scenarios. <laughs> scenario sc- scenario number two. Wait a minute. That's just like these two clients. Because then you truly learn it. It isn't some esoteric thought process in a, in a white paper. It's, wow, you can actually bring it to life. So it's sort of not just reading it, but also reflecting on it. So I, I would just, you know, put everything you have into it, if it's something you really want to do, and, uh, and realize it's going to be hard. And if you think it's going to be easy and you're just going to quit, then, then you're never going to succeed.
1: So Brett, any other advice for I guess just younger, newer advisors coming into the industry and trying to get off on the right foot? I think uh
2: be a sponge. Try to learn as much as you can. Talk to as many people as you can. Uh don't be afraid of i I'll, don't be afraid of doing work that you might not get paid for. I think volunteer work is is huge. I learned so much about Credit card debt, student loans, just doing volunteer work when I first, you know, became a a CFP. So um, that is one thing that I would, I mean, I knew about them, but you really mm-hmm. can become experts in understanding, you know, cash flows and understanding what what the client's goals are. So I would argue being a sponge and learning as much as you can, I think that's harder now. It's easier in terms of you can get it online. So you can get any, any information you want online. But I think it's harder because we we tend to be in our own bubble or our own treehouse. Right. And you don't have people all together talking around the proverbial water cooler about this situation or that situation. So that's where I think the mentorship and trying to be around people who have seen it before, I think that that's important. Um, Anybody who had been in the the industry 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, I was talking to them when I was young in the business. I still talk to them even though I'm older in the business because there's little snippets you learn and you say well they said a bunch of stuff that I don't agree with that's the old timer stuff yes but there's some nuggets in there that you pull out and also I think it's important to understand where we were and and how the financial planning profession uh, and being a financial advisor as an occupation has evolved and I think you can understand that better by understanding the history and talking to people who have done it so just keep learning and keep trying to better your skills. If you do that, and then if you just work hard, it's it's not going to come easy unless somebody's giving you the clients. But most of the time, you're going to have to really, really work hard.
1: So, Brett, as we wrap up, this is a podcast about success. Just one of the themes that always comes up is literally that word "success" means very different things to different people. And so, you know, as someone who's sort of uh, objectively built you know, two twin <laughs> successful businesses, both on the the education and with so many people who go through the the educational programs for CFP certification, and then the the advisory business up to two billion dollars. How do you define success for yourself at this point?
2: We, I, I you know, we touched on that a, a little bit earlier. I mean, there's lots of ways to view it. I mean, I view it in two different lenses. Uh, one is personally, so just trying to be the best you know son I can be, friend, husband, father. You know, trying to you know, you know, along with my wife, create you know, kids that are good, hardworking people, you know, that have empathy and 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 believe in a higher power. I'm not saying religion or God, just it could be the force, just something that's a higher power. So you're not the center of 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 the world. So on a personal side, that's how I I would view success. Uh, and then on the work wise, um, is just trying to be a good leader and a good Co-worker and help students on the educational side and help clients and the advisors working with their clients to accomplish, uh, accomplish their goals. And, you know, that, that, that's what I would say. It's like, can you leave the world a better place professionally and personally than when you came in? I don't know whether I'm going to do that, but that's, that's how I would define success. And I'll probably go ahead and, uh, I won't know that until I'm 70 or 80 years old. Although I will add one thing. Uh, When I wrote up my manifesto uh, over two decades ago, when I was going through therapy, and it was very therapeutic, all the things I wanted to do, I wanted to come up with a measure of financial success. So I was thinking about, is it a million dollars? Is it a billion dollars? What is it? And I realized what it was. It was that I would get upset if I... Was forced to take RMDs because financially, if I had to, if I was forced to take them, that means I didn't need them. So for me, and so success, that's what it was, I don't know, 23 years ago or so. That's what success meant to me. And I, you know, I I think it's kind of funny, but you asked for success. So financial success for me, that's what it meant 22, 23 years for me when I was writing
1: all this up. So there you go. So it's a long answer, but. There you go. Enough, I have enough that I don't need it. And I can now officially resent that the government's forcing me to take it out.
2: <laughs> it's a <laughs> there good you go.
1: financial planning milestone. Of there success. you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast.
2: Well, thank you. And uh, like I said, I'm humbled and honored to be part of, uh, part of this podcast. And uh, yeah, I wish, I wish everyone out there um, uh, much success um, in, 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 your, in your profession and in your personal life.
1: Amen. Thank you. Want
0: even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the member section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.